0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Stardosphere, which is the season two of Talk Energy with Yes Europe. And today we are very excited to have Michael, currently Chief Commercial and Product Officer of Chiskeke Energy. And Chiskeke Energy is going to share you know, the world's greenest battery. And uh, of course, we're going to hear Michael. To talk more about it, but just to begin with, Michael, could you give us a, a quick elevator's pitch about yourself to the audience?
1: Yeah, sure. So, hi everyone. Uh, so, yeah, Mike Simpson. Uh, I originally trained as an aerospace engineer and then moved into clean tech. Decided I'd done enough damage to the environment and and committed into clean tech. And it was fairly early on that I got involved in cheesecake energy. Um, so we we founded cheesecake energy back in. 2015, uh, or the ideas came out in 2015. Uh, we've now grown it into a company that employs uh, 17 people. And we're looking to make a huge difference in sustainable energy storage, something that we can really scale up globally.
0: That, that's really interesting to hear. I, I heard from your background that you decided to start up your, you know, just kicking energy while you were doing a PhD. How, how did you make that decision, and how did it feel like you know, to juggle between a PhD and a startup?
1: So I, I think it's maybe not for everyone, but but I love it. I, I found it really really helpful. Uh, so it was I was able to kind of grow and and develop the concepts and the company alongside uh, kind of my, my PhD, and that gave me uh, both a bit of space and didn't it didn't need to pay the bills immediately. Not that the PhD paid too many bills, um, but it it gave me Kind of the that parallel uh, kind of interest, really. Uh, so, because I had kind of day job of, of kind of doing the PhD and the evenings and weekends growing the company, it really helped to kind of put the, the PhD research into context and and give a, a bit of diversity to, to what I was getting involved in. It's also fantastic to be developing a startup in a university environment. Uh, so much support. Uh, Imperial is really good for this, but a lot of other universities have, have kind of fantastic. Ecosystems and support networks, uh, and I would say to everyone, really rinse those because it's it's fantastic to have those those networks you can draw on. Uh, and yeah, I, I certainly got a lot from it.
0: I, I'm wondering how correlated related is your PhD topic, and you know what you're doing at Chesapeake Energy was it like a you know just a direct application of what you're studying?
1: By the end of it, it was certainly. Uh, I think there were there were elements of it kind of early on that I was able to kind of read across, um, but. As, as often happens, kind of these, these things um, can converge. Uh, the, the startup technology or the, the, the energy storage technology would help you within the startup. I could see more and more how the the, the modeling and simulation I was doing in, in PhD could, could be terms for that application. And, and so that's what I was doing kind of for, for evenings and weekends.
0: Yeah, so keep doing it.
2: <laughs> so from now on, I'd like to ask some questions about your company. Can you explain the meaning of your company, Cheesecake Energy?
1: absolutely yeah so it's it's a name that just tend to, uh, to stick in the memory um the the original uh, uh, naming of a cheesecake came from a very techie uh, source it, it wasn't we didn't have any marketing people uh, at the very start when we, when we were founded the company what we did have were a couple of acronyms uh, now we were interested in compressed air energy storage and also this concept called generation integrated energy storage and, and being good engineers uh we just those into two acronyms. We got G I E S, the generation integrated, and, and A's for the, uh, for the compressor. We put those two together and we got Cheesecake, which, as an eight-letter acronym, doesn't necessarily trip up the tongue, but it does sound a little bit like Cheesecake. And we made that connection and, and that stuck. And then we might have named our limited company Cheesecake. So that's, that's pretty permanent. There aren't too many things in life which are permanent, but at least that is one of them.
2: you can you also tell us your business model like the type of products and which is your customers and the the type of field we are you're playing
1: absolutely yeah so the the technology at the core of the business is a thermal and compressed energy storage company uh so the technology so we we store electricity in the form of heat and compressed air we'll talk more about that uh, shortly but the the business model that we're following initially we will be delivering Plants, so so kind of full energy storage systems. to a select group of pilot customers, and then later on, we will actually be licensing uh, the the kind of designs and delivering select hardware uh, to partners around the world to then deliver to their customers. So we we de- we've developed some key technology um, that allows us to unlock existing uh, industrial hardware, and and really what we offer to, to customers is or to our customers. Is the ability for them to use their existing infrastructure, existing facilities, um, with the addition of our kind of special source, uh, to then deliver products, uh, energy storage solutions to their own customers in time. Uh,
2: then let's move on to your company's innovative green energy storage technology called e-Tanker. Can you explain about this?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so this is this is how we store electricity. Um, so we're storing electricity in the form of heat and compressed air. The way that we do that. Is when the surplus electricity from the grid or from renewables, we use that to run electric motors and drive air compressors. So that those air compressors will compress air, and that air will also heat up as it's compressed. Now we then capture the the pressurized air, and we capture the heat as well. And that's really important. That's that's actually where we saw a lot of the electricity in the form of heat. It's really cheap, uh, compact, and environmentally friendly way of, of storing storing electricity. When we want the electricity back, we take the heat, uh, we use it to heat up the air and we pass that that hot pressurised air back into the same piston machines we used to compress the air in the first place. And those piston machines then drive a shaft and and turn a generator. Now, what's a little bit different is that we use Exo's truck engines as those air compressors. So we use what was uh, at the moment a a Volvo uh, six-cylinder diesel engine that we remove the, the fuel injector. We don't need any fuel anymore. We use we use the electric motors to drive the, the the engine in reverse and use the pistons to compress the air. And then we use the same engine again later. Uh, when there's, there's, we've got the hot pressurized gas, we use those to drive the pistons, this time forwards direction uh, to, to drive the generator. Now, the, the backwards and forwards is a little bit uh, but The engine actually spins the same direction the, the whole way through, but in terms of the, the direction of the power transfer, that's that's where that comes from. This is really about having a system that is very, very sustainable, using hardware that already exists, that we already know and understand, and and huge sums of money have been spent developing. We don't just want to throw throw those away. And and really using that to to deliver something which is is going to be scalable, something that can be built using existing infrastructure, built locally and maintained locally. And that's really important because we want to see these systems everywhere. and, yeah, so, so being able to keep that environmental footprint down, particularly for a technology that's going to be everywhere, that's really important. There's a small problem with a small-scale technology becomes a very big problem when it's scaled up.
2: Then how do you compare the medium-duration energy storage system over the current battery technologies like hydropower systems and other traditional companies?
1: Yeah, brilliant. So we don't pretend to solve everything. Um, we we address a certain scale and a certain duration. So we're looking at what we would call medium scale, so commercial and industrial scale. We won't see a two-take system further home. Equally, we won't see these at, for enormous kind of transmission scale uh, energy storage installations. But what we do see is that in that mid-range, so in the roughly uh, from the hundreds of kilowatts to perhaps tens of, of megawatts, of power output, that's where our system plays really well. Um, and we tend to focus on, exactly as you say, that medium duration space, so between four and 24 hours uh, of, of uh, charging and, and discharging capability. We typically look to cycle the system daily, that's where we see most applications. And in that space, what we offer is a system that is very durable, uh, so those, those truck engines are built to last. Um, we're looking at a 25-year lifespan for our system, it's a system that's affordable, because we're reusing a lot of mass-produced hardware, and it's a system that is very, very clean. Uh, so it's something that offers a lot of benefits to the grid, and uh, in, in some of the same ways that a, a fossil fuel, fossil-fired power, power station does, because we have spinning uh, electrical motors, spinning shafts, and actually that ability to offer stability to the grid is something that's, that's really powerful, and not something that, that batteries can necessarily offer in the same way. So it's a cleaner, longer-lasting uh, and, and very affordable system. that uh, will be taking on batteries for, for that four hour plus frustration. Mm.
2: And then what are the current main challenges for the development of the N- uh, e-tanker system in terms of uh, environmental, techno-economical and the political aspects?
1: Yeah, sure. So like any early stage technology, we have a cost curve to drive down. Uh, what helps is that because we're using existing technologies, existing infrastructure, actually accessing that automotive type scale uh is, is kind of very doable. Um we have some technical challenges remaining to, to kind of complete our system, but those are it's all really well understood. Uh it's there's no new science in our system, and that helps a lot. It's there's a lot of engineering, but it's it's not new principles, we're not developing new materials, new concepts. Uh it's really just applying. Uh, kind of what's already known in a, kind of an efficient, cost efficient and technically efficient way. Uh, so that's, that's what we're working through at the moment and we've got a fantastic team that's doing
2: that. And since the crucial impacts of the Russia-Ukraine war on the power and energy sector in the global energy storage market, can you give us some ideas about the future of storage capacity and its regulation in the midterm? Related to traditional and emerging uh, uh, Asian buyers.
1: Yeah, I mean, huge, huge topic. Um, but but some some kind of little kind of snippets from from our experience. Uh, what the the kind of the crisis is in, in Ukraine has, has done is is very much put the spotlight on uh, kind of energy security in a way that perhaps hasn't been there uh, for for a little bit, um, and actually made it really clear that the kind of distributed energy has a huge, huge role to play. And so going on renewables and using storage to overcome that intermittency, I think there's a huge additional um, attention uh, going on to storage. Of course, high electricity prices do tend to, to drive commercial customers to, to be thinking in the same way uh, and, and looking much more closely at, at those, those those energy bills and seeing, well, okay, well, could we put solar on the roof and could we put storage in place to, to help us drive down those, those energy bills? So from that perspective, uh, of course, kind of huge negative uh, effects as well, um, both both kind of so kind of a as- society, but also kind of disruption to, to kind of many of Ukraine's outputs. Uh, so, kind of huge steel player. Um, so, yeah, kind of really really sad to see kind of both both the human cost and, and kind of the, the really damaging economic effects as well.
0: Just one uh, follow-up question about your earlier point about offering stability or maybe flexibility to the grid. I because this is one of you know the main challenge for integrating like over maybe forty percent of uh, variable renewable, mm-hmm. and it's like wind and solar. So like, how much of a say percentage do you see your technology? Uh, has that potential, in, you know, carving out the whole market and offering that flexibility in the future?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, again, there are, there are these different timescales kind of over which storage acts. they will be the very, very short timescales, and that's actually where we see a lot of the market today in that kind of frequency response space. Where we've got short duration batteries, and of course, there's a lot of discussion about hydrogen as well. Um, so, and that's maybe thinking more, much more about the longer duration, and it's that medium duration. That is is in some ways quite nascent at the moment, but it's going to be huge, and that's that's where we we see something like eighty to ninety percent of the storage volumes sitting uh, as as our kind of renewables penetration grows, as we electrify more rural areas uh, and kind of bring bring power to kind of areas and both both kind of in kind of the global north and the global south, uh, where at the moment we don't have electricity demand or don't have electricity supply. Um, we see our technology as solving um, a number of the challenges in that medium duration space is, is a big space, but of course there are other fantastic technologies there as well. Um, so we we would anticipate looking to claim perhaps between fifteen and twenty percent of the medium duration market uh, and really kind of, kind of build on that. But we want to see lots of other technologies alongside us and, and kind of bringing bring all, all their own kind of unique capabilities to to. To bear as well. Um, this is not a, a one technology problem.
0: Nice. So do you have plans to explore the other type of technology as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, we we want to see kind of lots of uh, lots of different technologies. Energy storage is going to need to be as diverse as as the power generation uh, kind of system and and everything else that we we see around us. This is we don't just have one one solution for delivering power, um, and we won't just have one solution for for storing it either.
0: Now re- really insightful sharing about the company and also the technology. but now I want to move the topic a little bit away from that and discuss your personal entrepreneur journey a little bit. Uh, so my first question is how did you find your co-founders? and uh, you know what do you what did you value uh, in finding those co-founders and are you still getting along with each other? <laughs>
1: yeah, so we're a little bit unusual in that we have a lot of co-founders. Um, so when we started the company, there were six of us involved, and a lot of people will will kind of look aghast if you tell me you started a company with, with six founders because it's not usually the way that people do it. And certainly, if you're in the game to make lots of money, sharing things six ways uh, is, is one good way to, uh, to to kind of reduce your your cut. But the the way that our team came about, we were we were doing research uh, in in energy storage, and this is actually at the University of Nottingham. This was a year I, I spent doing research uh, just before my PhD. So we were doing research at Nottingham into thermal and mechanical technologies. We, we recognised that athletes perhaps didn't have all the answers and brought a few problems when it came to medium duration uh, applications. So a number of the of the kind of team members were part of the research group uh, and actually just kind of the people that I was working with on a day-to-day basis. Um, that were, were interested in this and are passionate about doing something about climate change, and then we we kind of augmented that with uh, kind of other people with kind of more commercial and more more kind of design uh, experience, uh, and came, came together as that team of six. Um, so over time, I mean, that was that was some time ago. Uh, Twenty fifteen has disappeared into the rearview mirror, um, but four of those six are still very much involved, very hands on on a day to day basis, uh, which is fantastic. Um, I think. Would I advise people to start a, a company with, with six co founders? It depends. I mean, we're, we're doing a hardware technology. It's tough. There's it a lot to think about, there's a lot of different aspects. Uh, and I think we've drawn on everyone's time uh, in, in spades in, in the early years, and we, we continue to do so now, just now that we can actually pay people.
0: No problem. And the question is about fundraising. I know you've been raising uh, quite some money, especially during the pandemic, which is remarkable. Um. What were, were the key factors, you know, for you to raise the money?
1: Yeah, so people will often say that your first raise is, is the hardest. Uh, I hope that's true. Um, but we, we've, we've done a couple of raises now, and, and certainly it, it does seem to support that. Um, when you start out, you don't have the networks, you don't have all the contacts that you can go to to raise money quickly, so you raise money slowly. Uh, and that's certainly been our experience. We were told up front that... Fundraising will take longer than you think. Uh, and it's never been anything but. But uh, I, I personally really enjoyed it. Um, so yes, it's a it's a lot of work. Yes, it distracts from kind of doing the, the technology development and the kind of commercial development that the kind of is, is really, really exciting. But speaking to people, sharing kind of the, the story of the company, sharing your experience and, and why this company is exciting. I, I got a lot of energy from that. Um, so really enjoyed it. And it's putting ourselves out there. Has led us to speak to some fantastic people who've offered great input and who we continue to work with. So I think you can see fundraising as a slog, and if you do, then it will be. Um, but equally, if you see it as, as kind of a crucial part of your role as co-founder, uh, then actually I think there's, there's a lot of positives to
0: take from it. And then just looking back on these few exciting years of your startup, what were the some of the top lessons you have reflected?
1: Yeah, so I think the, the lesson which which will continue to stick with me, now and I'm learning every day, is is move faster. Uh, there's always a million things to do as a as a startup. Um, there's, there's always a million things to do, and and nowhere near can uh, kind of that many resources. But having a really clear and kind of ruthlessly prioritized set of tasks and and kind of goals in order to to make the most of, of your limited resources is, is key. And you will find yourself uh, being pulled in different directions, uh, and that's that's normal. But knowing where you want to get to, and um, basically ticking them off, uh, is is really important. And I can't claim to be the best at doing that. Um, I, I don't think anyone can uh, claim to have perfected that. But it's something that I continue to have a lot of focus on to try and improve on that all the time.
0: Well, let me ask them this question from a different perspective. What are you most proud of so far? and this startup?
1: Yeah, I think what I'm most proud of is the team. Uh, I think we've punched well above our weight in terms of getting the quality uh, kind of fantastic people that, that we have working with us. Um, so I think that's that's been a huge, huge accomplishment. Uh, and I credit to them for, for joining a startup kind of early on and without huge resources behind it, but with a really exciting vision uh, and, and actually taking a, a leap of faith and um, kind of evaluating for themselves does this, does, is this company exciting? Is this company going somewhere? And, and happily for us, their the, the assessment was yes. Um, so, Naomi, I think huge, huge credit to the team and we'd be absolutely
0: nowhere with that. Fantastic answer. You mentioned about mission. That, well, then tell us a little bit about your you know short-term and long-term goals.
1: Yeah, so as, as a company, our, our kind of goal is to be kind of the, the primary provider of, our kind of energy storage technology. And that will be working with partners. But, but to be kind of the, the technology of choice for, for medium duration energy storage and that's a, that's a lofty goal um, I think what it translates to on a day-to-day basis is really pushing kind of every in every way we can to, to get this technology to maturity as fast as possible um, so get it to economic maturity to technical maturity and and commercial maturity as well making sure that it's the technology that our customers want and need uh, and that involves a lot of conversations
2: okay so, I'll move on to the uh, career advice questions. Before we close, uh, let's talk about career advice for students and young professionals who are interested in the energy sector. Uh, can you give us your top three uh, suggestions to them aspiring as to start up the, for, the, the, for their own business?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to anyone who is thinking of, of kind of starting a company in, in kind of clean energy uh, or in, in climate, climate tech, kind of environmental tech, um, first thing is go for it, really go for it, because it's so important, it's so pressing, it's so urgent, and yes, not everything will work, but if we don't try it, we won't know, and the worst thing to do would be to sit back in 10 years and, and regret not having given it a shot. Um, so I've, I've certainly found that kind of it's a hugely friendly and, and kind of supportive space, uh, kind of people are incredibly generous with their time, and that's probably the second piece of advice, you're going to need to take their time. Uh, because there isn't time for us to make all the mistakes first time. Um, We have to draw on everyone around us, whoever you can talk to, um, do it. Uh, There's there's a huge number of people who want um, clean tech uh, and climate tech companies to succeed, Uh, a few of them who uh, maybe didn't have the chance in their own careers to uh, to be as climate-focused as perhaps we can now with, with the support and the infrastructure that's around us here and now. So make use of people around you and make use of the, the kind of the networks and the resources and the infrastructure um, that universities offer, that even uh, kind of groups like like Yes Europe offer and, and kind of the connections that you can you can make through through kind of you guys and, and conferences, get out to events uh, and and have conversations. It's it can be a surprisingly small world once once you're kind of at on the the kind of the conference and, and event circuit. Uh, lots of names keep coming up, and kind of being able to tap into that is fantastic.
2: And can you give us types of experience were helpful in developing their careers during school or after graduation period?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I certainly got stuck into a lot of the entrepreneurship kind of activities through uh, through university. Um, not so much in my undergraduate. This was this was almost exclusively uh, kind of in, in my postgraduate uh, kind of studies. Uh, just that I wasn't as quick on the uptake as as perhaps I mean certainly talking to a lot of undergrads uh, at Imperial they're are a lot more on it than I was which is great to see. So getting stuck into kind uh, of the various uh, entrepreneurial competitions, uh, the mentoring that's available, I'm kind of going on to a lot of workshops. Uh, I've probably been to more pitch workshops than uh, than I can remember. Um, so all really useful stuff. Um, take any opportunity to do public speaking because uh, it's all it's all the same stuff. It's all the same skills. And that confidence and comfort is, is so powerful. Uh it will in useful in so many ways.
2: Mm-hmm. So currently we have many young talents in the community. And why should they be putting out an application to cheesecake energy?
1: Um well firstly because we'd absolutely love it. Um I mean we we're a pretty young company um and and that, that means there's huge, huge opportunities to really kind of make an impact, really kind of change, uh, kind of change the business and, and kind of set the direction of travel. So if, you, if you're if you interested in something where you'll make a huge, huge difference and every contribution is, is really obvious and really, really kind of um, then we can set offer for that. And then in terms of having a climate impact, uh, I know that's not something that, that's a huge driver for me uh, and a lot of our team. This is an area where, technologies are nascent where there are a lot of opportunities and the impacts are enormous so if we can find uh if we can deliver this solution to integrate renewable energy and help support grids as they decarbonize then it's going to be the biggest impacts that, that i think i could dream of uh, kind of individually and, and for a lot, of, a lot of the engineers and scientists and, and uh, business thinkers it's it's massive
2: Okay, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks, Michael, for joining us this awesome discussion about yourself, your company, your startup journey, and your career advice. We hope that a nice journey from Michael uh, for operating this startup in the innovative and registered system uh, were beneficial for you. As always, thanks for listening to Starosphere. If you join our show, please rate and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Simalaya, and be sure to come back next month for a discussion. Until then, this is Sukyung, and see you soon.